Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. With certain types of PCOS, the way to get your period back is to quit sugar, basically eat less, arguably, you know, lower carb. That whole strategy works for some types of PCOS. But for as you can imagine, for women who have lost their period to under eating, mm-hmm. that is a disaster. <laughs> that is basically them going in the completely wrong way to ever get their period back. And then I talk to them and they're my patients and they say, oh, it must be something. I'm just really broken. It must be something really wrong with me. I'm like, no, the problem is the di- misdiagnosis you were given, mm-hmm. being told you have PCOS when you're actually under eating and you need to eat at least 2,500 calories a day, including carb and starch and get your period back. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Lara, welcome to She. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you. I'm so excited to dig into this conversation. I have a million questions, I feel like. I'm going to try to keep it concise. (laughs) Um, But before we get started, (laughs) can you share a little bit of your background and what led you to write about women's periods and hormones specifically? Sure. Yeah. So uh, as you can probably hear from my accent, I'm Canadian. I started out many years ago, (laughs) like 30 years ago in Canada as an evolutionary biologist. Mm -hmm. I was interested in biology from the very beginning. I wrote a scientific paper in that field. And then I trained as a naturopathic doctor in Canada, Hmm. worked in general practice for about five years before moving to Sydney, Australia, where I had ran a women's health hormone clinic for about 15 years. And it was just every, you know, nine to five, Monday Hmm. to to Friday, Hmm. working with women with their periods using nutrition, supplements, herbal medicines Hmm. to help women have better periods and Hmm. hormones. And out of all that work, I wrote my first book, Period Repair Manual, mm-hmm. Every Woman's Guide to Better Periods. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to New Zealand, where I live now, and I practice here now. And I uh, last year, I released my second book, which was for women over 40. Mm-hmm. So it's about the second puberty or the hormonal transition called perimenopause, which may or may not come into the conversation today, but I'm excited wow. about all those topics, periods, yeah. hormones. That's what I do. Wow. Incredible. You have quite the the background of experience and you've written some really great resources. And that's something I definitely want to encourage listeners to check out. And we'll kind of touch on those probably again, but I'd love if you can start by, let's just start like really basic. Can you share how our period can be a sign of deeper issues in the body? Yeah, excellent question. So in Peer to Peer Manual, I talk about the period as our monthly report card. Mm -hmm. It's a reflection or an indicator 
of general health. Mm-hmm. So having a monthly, approximately monthly, it doesn't have to be 28 days, but approximately monthly mm-hmm. natural cycle, which is a cycle when ovulation occurred. So not a pill bleed, mm-hmm. but a natural menstrual cycle is a reflection that everything else is working well, right? Like thyroid is okay and there's no inflammation and you're eating enough and just all the things that it takes to have a healthy body. And so through all my 25 years of working with patients, I always knew that I would always ask women about their periods. And occasionally when I would have a male patient, I'd be like, oh my goodness, there's this gap. I can't ask them about their periods. (laughs) How am I going to find out what's going on with them? So, and that that recognition that our menstrual cycle is a barometer of health is not, it's not a fringe idea. I'll just mm-hmm. point out that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists released a statement in 2016 mm-hmm. called the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Mm-hmm. And so they talk about that as well. How, especially in young women, women of any age, mm-hmm. it's a reflection of health. That's, I mean, that's encouraging to hear too, because I mean, I feel like a lot of times when you talk about like naturopathic ideas, it's immediately like often discredited. And I just love to hear that that is being recognized. That's incredible. Yeah. I would be curious what your thoughts are on hormonal birth control. What problems can that create or what are the problems when it comes to hormonal birth control and how does that affect our body and are there better alternatives? Yeah. Well, I mean, to put it bluntly, my biggest concern about combined hormonal birth control. So that's the sort of combined methods with estrogen and progestins. They shut down ovarian function. So they essentially induce, it sounds dramatic, but it's accurate. They induce a temporary chemical menopause and they they replace our hormones, estradiol and progesterone, which have both hormones have many, many benefits. And they replace those with contraceptive drugs, which are only kind of like our own hormones. Mm-hmm. And with estrogen versus the synthetic estrogen in the pill, the difference is maybe is less, but the real difference in terms of how is with progestins. So they're often they're often called it's often called progesterone, but it's not progesterone. There's no progesterone in any type of hormonal birth control. Those are all progestin drugs and there's different progestins. And they have such different effects from real progesterone that it's a little bit mind-boggling actually the only similar effect they have is that they thin the uterine lining Mm -hmm. which is good but they and they you know in a certain dose they'll suppress ovulation but they have so many different effects like here's just a really simple example like real progesterone that our body makes or that you can take as natural progesterone is excellent for preventing hair loss for example it has a natural sort of anti-androgen or anti-male hormone effect which can be beneficial for skin and hair Whereas some progestins, not all, but some are testosterone-like. They're actually, they're derived from testosterone. So they're actually more similar to testosterone than they are to progesterone. And they can cause, that's why some types of progestin drugs can cause skin breakouts. They can cause hair loss, which is a little known fact, but it's quite important. And they, and progestins affect mood too. So there's this idea that, you know, progesterone is bad for mood. That's usually that's progestins potentially are bad for mood. There's some research about that now. Whereas our own progesterone is good for the brain, is good for bones, is good for breasts. Is Yeah, so I'm a, a cheerleader for both estradiol, our main estrogen, and progesterone. I mean, progesterone is like the Cinderella hormone that's kind of always forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> Not talked about. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good to know because I just, I wanted to ask that as we're kind of covering the basics, just because that is such a big thing that can affect our cycles and our periods specifically. And so I'm thankful that you shared kind of a brief overview of, of that and kind of, 
I guess, to pivot into speaking to what a healthy period actually looks like and what we should be looking for. From your perspective, what should a period actually be like? Yeah. Okay. Well, again, so a, a real period is a natural menstrual cycle, not a pill bleed. I've written about that quite a lot. I have mm. a little podcast video about that, explaining that difference. A real period is a, a menstrual cycle, which is a series of hormonal events that were where ovulation is the main event. So the, a real period is a bleed that comes at the end of that series of hormonal events, including ovulation. And so if that's all happening properly, that takes approximately a month, but I'll just say there's actually a range, a cycle, a natural cycle counting from day one of the bleed to day one of the next bleed can range from anywhere from like 21 days up to 35 days for adult women, up to 45 days for younger Women, like say teenagers, early 20s, cycles can be longer. That's normal. And then the bleed itself shouldn't be more than seven days long. You shouldn't lose more than about 80 milliliters of menstrual fluid over all the days of the bleed. That's about five tablespoons. There should be no pain. I know that's a bold statement, but there should be a normal period is not painful. And there should be no no significant premenstrual symptoms. I mean, there can be subtle changes in how you feel a little bit more introverted or hungrier. Those are normal leading up to a menstrual bleed, but there should be no symptoms. So I set the bar quite high Mm -hmm. for my patients and my readers is like, a period should just arrive Mm -hmm. and, you know, not be, not create distress. Mm -hmm. I guess that would be the normal Mm -hmm. thing. I do just, before we totally leave the topic of hormonal birth control, I just want to point out one, one thing, because this is I mean, earlier I was talking mainly about the combined methods, which would be neuvering or mm-hmm. combined pills. Of course, as you know, other methods are popular now, including implants and mm-hmm. hormonal IUDs. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say the hormonal IUD is a little different in that it's, yeah, it's, it's still allow, technically potentially can allow natural menstrual cycles to occur in the background. Mm-hmm. So it's quite an interesting compare and contrast. So on the pill mm-hmm. or neuvering, patch, like the combined methods, you get a withdrawal bleed, but no menstrual cycle, no ovulation. So you bleed, but don't cycle. Whereas on the hormonal IUD, because it works primarily locally by thinning the uterine lining, Mm -hmm. you can, but it doesn't always suppress ovulation, although it can in young women Mm -hmm. and in the first year when the dose of the drug is higher. But with with the hormonal IUD, weirdly, you can cycle, but not bleed. So it's kind of the opposite. And it's, I mean, potentially women can still experience side effects from the hormonal IUD just because it's the contraceptive drug, levonorgestrel is still present and it can cause um, skin breakouts and it can affect mood potentially, but it does, it allows the cycle, the menstrual cycling. So mm-hmm. patients always ask me, because I say pill bleeds are not periods, but they're like, oh, are the bleeds I'm getting on the hormonal IUD real periods? Actually, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it is different because I would just assume that if it's a hormonal birth control method at all, it's all the same. No, huh. no, there's differences. And then on the implants, it's a little different. Again, you you do, you still, you're getting what are called anovulatory bleeds, which mm. is actually can occur in lots of different situations. So a, a proper menstrual cycle is an ovulatory bleed. I know that mm. sounds technical, but I'm really trying to put that word out there because yeah. I think women are smart enough to understand that. Mm-hmm. It means a bleed and with a cycle in which ovulation occurred. Mm-hmm. So anovulatory bleeds are kind of, are not kind of their bleeds. They're all can be erratic or they can be, they can be regular mm. where there was no ovulation and therefore no progesterone. You just get this mm. kind of more like a breakthrough bleeding 
right. as you know, um, and that's what happens on the implants. Okay. And yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Very helpful. Thank you for actually mm. going into detail and describing that. Yeah. I didn't mean to like jump past the question, but no, it's I fine. Do, yeah, yeah I, that, that is helpful. And I think that really even goes hand in hand with understanding what your period should be like and what, what a period actually is. It's not simply like yeah. you bleed because that, I think that confused me for a long time when I was first learning about hormonal birth control and how it works. I was like, oh yeah, you get a period. Like you can manipulate your period. You can move it. And it's like, okay, no. well, like that's not actually a period. So that's actually really well, helpful to know. And on that topic, just to be really clear. Yeah. There's no medical reason to bleed monthly hmm. on the pill. So we have this convention in place where you bleed monthly. That was only just to ever to mimic a period. But the monthly means nothing when you're on the pill. Like we just remember the ovaries are suppressed into chemical menopause. And then these are drug-induced bleeds. So you do, I mean, it's fine to, it's basically fine. If you're going to be on those drugs, it's fine to, as far as I'm concerned to continuous dose it. There's no reason to have those regular withdrawal bleeds. Although as you know, you might know if you, if you take it too long, eventually women start to get spotting and breakthrough mm -hmm. bleeding. So then we'll want to have a, but basically on those drugs, you really only need to bleed as often as you need to, to avoid spotting. Well, I'm curious about that then, because when you mentioned that it kind of puts your ovaries into like a chemical temporary menopause, I'm curious, like, how do your over, and I don't know, this could be too much of a science. Yeah. I'm so sorry if I'm like yeah. going off the deep end here, but I'm curious, like how do your ovaries know, like, Oh, we can turn back on now. Like if you decide to get off of it, like, especially if you're on it for a long period of time, like 10, 12 to 15 years, yeah. do your ovaries just know, especially if you're close to the age of perimenopause, like you mentioned, like, I'm just really curious how our bodies yeah. know to do that. <laughs> That's a perfectly valid question. So their ovaries are waiting for signals from the brain. Okay. Right. So when you which was, and you know, that was, all that signaling is, inter is suppressed by the mm -hmm. presence of the contraceptive drugs. So when you stop the drugs, mm -hmm. then the brain signaling starts back up and women can't, some women just get their periods back straight away. No problem. Like they're real periods. Mm -hmm. Like they start ovulating again and mm -hmm. menstruating again. And you hear women like that, like they, you know, become pregnant first month off mm -hmm. the pill or something like it's all happening. It's just mm -hmm. kicks back into action there's situations when that doesn't happen. So what the research shows actually is, I think I'm trying to remember the numbers. There was just a paper a couple of years ago about how long it takes to start ovulating again after mm -hmm. different methods and doses of birth control. Again, it always, it always depending on the woman, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, up, it's like in the range of six to 12 months for okay. some of the methods. It can take a while. And the women who have problems, and there's not a lot of research on this, but this is some of this is coming from my colleague, who's an endocrinology professor at the University of British Columbia, who helped me with both books, Geraldine Pryor. She's looked. She's a scientist and a clinician, and she's looked a lot at all of this. And she has talked about how it takes twelve years to mature the menstrual cycle. So, if you start having your periods at like twelve or thirteen, mm -hmm. say kind of normal age, mm -hmm. you don't fully get a robust, really healthy, strong ovulation and till like 25, like there's this really? maturation process. So if you put a 13 year old on the pill, which is not uncommon, uh -huh. unfortunately, these days, that maturation process was paused. Hmm. Essentially, it was like a big pause button on that. So hmm. then coming off the pill at 31, hmm. it you know, can take a while to get going. And this is one why with my own patients, when they're trying to understand, like there was people always want to know what's going to happen when you stop the pill. It's like, hmm. it depends on so many factors. But one thing I'll ask them is what were your periods, like your actual periods mm -hmm. 
before you took the pill and how long did you have them for? Like from in most cases, if they, if my patients have had at least three or four years of natural cycling before the pill, I usually will say, look, I think you're going to be fine in terms of actually achieving ovulation, getting your cycles going. There might be a return to period pain or, you know, premenstrual symptoms that were suppressed by the pill or heavy bleeding, but yeah, at least, you know, yeah, um, that ovulation is likely to get going. And then on the other end, and you said it in your question, what about if you're 47 right. and coming off the pill and you've been having pill bleeds for 20 years and you're wondering, are you going to start ovulating for the first time in 20 years or are you already in menopause? Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm laughing, but it's just because it's such a common situation. I actually have a patient story about that in my hormone repair manual hmm. book about second puberty or perimenopause in our 40s. It's really common Mm -hmm. to sort of, to be in that situation of what's happening. What are my real periods? Am I in time to even have any more real periods or am I already in menopause? Because you can completely go into menopause while you're on the pill Mm -hmm. and it masks it Mm -hmm. because it's giving you pill bleeds. Mm -hmm. That is like a, you know, those that can force a pill can force a bleed in almost anyone. Right. Mm So even if you've gone through menopause, you won't know Mm -hmm. until you stop. Wow. Wild. Yeah. That is so yeah. interesting. I mean, I feel like I could ask a million questions just about that, but I won't go down too much of a rabbit hole. Yeah. There, but I mean, it's it is really interesting to think about and to understand. And I did not know that it takes up to 12 years for it to mature because I think my this is how I always understood it. And then this is just completely made up based on absolutely zero science. But you know, I'm like, oh, so if you start your period at like 12, then you're probably gonna go into menopause earlier versus than if you started your period at 18 or 16 or something like that. But is that not necessarily true? No, I know it's an interesting because we have there's this narrative that we have a certain number of eggs and mm-hmm. menopause comes when we run out of eggs. Well, in both books, I kind of discuss a little bit of the science around that. There's some question marks around that. I mean, there's no question the ovaries mm-hmm. stop producing eggs by mid 40s. Mm-hmm to 50 mid by mid fifties. Like that's a normal biological process. It seems to be largely just genetically programmed mm-hmm. the timing of when the ovaries do that. But mm-hmm. for example, like it, it doesn't, it, it's not totally just about how many eggs you have and you run out because otherwise in that theory, like if you were on the, because the pill suppresses egg mm-hmm. production. Mm-hmm. So in theory, I mean, if you were on the pill, that should delay menopause by 20 years, but it doesn't do that. If anything, actually the pill brings menopause a little sooner, I think because it shrinks the ovaries. I mean, I'm not sure all the different factors, but no, there's no, there's some correlations in terms of age of first period and age of menopause, but it's not a matter of, oh, you've only got 35 years. And so you just use up your 35 years and you're done. It's of cycling. That's not how it works. No. Wow. Very fascinating. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up for me because that's something I was always curious about. Okay. I would love if you can share um, some things that can go wrong with your period that may be clues of a deeper issue. You had mentioned like they shouldn't be painful or they shouldn't, you know, there's just certain things. So what are some signs to look for when it comes to our periods that may be clues that there could be something deeper going on? Yeah. Well, the first one is no period. I mean, that's um, Mm -hmm. common, not uncommon. And again, there's just so many different reasons for that. So there's not one way to get your period back. I mean, there can be actually two very opposite situations happening. I'm just going to talk about the no period situation yeah. for a moment because it says uh, something I'm seeing a lot. I've just released, I'm about to release a podcast of my own about this, actually. Mm-hmm. this The difference between something called PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome and losing your period to under eating, mm-hmm. which is common amongst young women. It's more, it's more likely to happen to young women for... Mm-hmm biological reasons. So what's happening out there, unfortunately, is some of your listeners probably have heard of PCOS. I won't get too technical, but it's a hormonal condition Mm -hmm. 
called polycystic, polycystic ovary syndrome. It affects at least one in 10 women and it's a very real condition, but it's unfortunately the diagnostic process for that is a little messy. And some doctors are relying on an ultrasound finding of polycystic ovaries for that. And they should not be relying on that because anyone can have polycystic ovaries. It doesn't mean you have PCOS. And you can definitely 100% have polycystic ovaries if you've lost your period to undereating, which is called hypothalamic amenorrhea. So just to give anyone listening, I know, I just know statistically there's going to be someone listening who's thinking, oh, what, that might be me. <laughs> so I would just say, try read my blog post about it, try to get a proper diagnosis because the reason it's so important, and here's as an example, trying to get your period back. With certain types of PCOS, the way to get your period back is to quit sugar, basically eat less, arguably, you know, lower carb, that whole, that whole strategy, maybe some intermittent fasting, gently, that whole strategy works for some types of PCOS. But for, as you can imagine, for women who have lost their period to under eating, mm -hmm. that is a disaster. <laughs> that is basically them going in the completely wrong way yeah. to ever get their period back. And then I talk to them and they're my patients and they say, oh, it must be something. I'm just really broken. It must be something really wrong with me. I'm like, no, the problem is the misdiagnosis you were given, being told you have PCOS when you're actually under eating and you need to eat at least 2,500 calories a day, including carb and starch wow. and get your period back. So that's one example. Yeah. So I'll just keep going and what yeah. can go wrong. So no period uh, along the same lines as irregular periods. So a period that's not coming every at least 35 days. Mm -hmm or is an ovulatory, a cycle where you're not ovulating. And you can confirm that by tracking temperatures to know if you're ovulating or not. The, the goal is to be ovulating for most of the cycles, although it's, it's totally fine to have the occasional cycle where you don't ovulate. And then of course, we're moving into then other problems are heavy flow, which is common. And there's different reasons for that. And it's best if you can, as I talk about in my book, it's always about following the clues, being a detective with the help of your doctor to try to figure out what the underlying reasons or factors are for heavy periods or period pain is another one. Premenstrual mood symptoms, of course, is another one. I'll just say a word about pain though, because this is where one in 10 of your listeners are sitting there going, but I've got endometriosis, mm -hmm. you know, there's sort of, they're like hearing me say periods should not be painful. Mm -hmm. And for them, that is almost an impossible seeming goal because mm -hmm. they have an inflammatory disease called endometriosis, mm -hmm. which I would argue is almost in a different category. You know, it's obviously involves periods, but it's a, it's an inflammatory disease. It's not just, a, you know, not just period pain. It's not just something going a little wrong with your period. There's something else going on that sometimes requires surgery definitely requires from a naturopathic perspective, a kind of a more targeted mm -hmm. strategy than just some of the general things that alleviate period pain. So I'm just saying this to acknowledge the women listening, you know, I see you, I know that endometriosis is a different category situation, but can also, I will also say can still improve with natural treatments. So it's not like if you have endo, you're, you know, necessarily trapped on hormonal birth control. There are other options. Mm -hmm. Did you see? My new book, Embrace Your Almost, is officially out in the world, and I can't believe it's available to you anywhere books are sold. You can grab it from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. There's some special editions out there, too. Target has an exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million both have signed editions. 
And you can also get it at local independent bookstores. Anywhere books are sold, you should be able to find it. So if you are walking through a season of unmet expectations or disappointment or broken dreams or waiting or uncertainty, this book will bless your life. If you are not in one of those seasons, but you're just not entirely sure what's next for you, this book will bless your life. And if you have a loved one or a friend or a sister who's walking through a season like that, who's dealing with unmet expectations or broken dreams or uncertainty or waiting, this book will be such a great gift for her or something to pass on to her. So if that sounds like something you need or something a loved one in your life needs, grab a copy. Grab a copy from Amazon. Grab a copy from Barnes & Noble, from Target, from anywhere books are sold. I cannot wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to not only get this message in your hands, but also for you to pass on this message and share it because I believe it's more than a message. It's a movement. So as you listen, as you go about your day, I would love for you to put it in order, grab a copy and start reading as soon as it arrives at your door. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. (laughs) Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one one membership matching program. You join and they give. 
I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. I was going to ask you, you mentioned something about heavy periods, and this is something that even just friends and I have talked about. It's like, pretty much you only know what your experience is. And yeah. so it's like, how do you know if what you're experiencing is heavy? If it's like, is it just heavy for you? Or is it like, because to us, like whatever we experience is normal. That's the standard. We're not like looking well, you, at everyone else's, right? So it's like, how do you, you measure know? it? You, do? you measure the milliliters. Okay. So I talk about that in my book and there's different charts you can use. So if you're using a menstrual cup, mm-hmm. that's pretty easy because okay. you know your menstrual cup is 20 milliliters, for example, is a mm-hmm. standard size one and you just keep a tally. Mm-hmm. You just keep count over the days. And then, but you can use other, depending on period underwear is a bit harder. I'm not sure how much period underwear and I know period underwear is super popular now, mm-hmm. but just to give you an, you know, another example. So Temp, a, a regular tampon holds if it's full mm-hmm. that's five mil okay. five milliliters okay a super tampon is 10 milliliters if it's full you know different size pads hold mm-hmm. different amounts you can mm-hmm. start to learn to kind of just eyeball it like you're just roughly mm-hmm. guesstimating like with my own patients i might just say to them okay how many days of bleeding on the heaviest day how quickly are you filling mm-hmm. a cup or a super tampon and just i just i'm just doing in my head kind of a rough tally and so again at milliliters is the acceptable maximum. Okay. Not uncommon. I get patients having 150, 200 mils in perimenopause. It can be like, I know this sounds crazy, but it can be like 500 mils wow. for women in their forties. Like you can get into this really heavy flooding period situation, but you're so right. Like I've had patients say to me, Oh, I've got heavy periods. And then I ask them, I go through that little mm-hmm. tally of, okay, how many cups? And, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, Oh, actually, no, that's fine. Like you know, filling a regular tampon a few times in a day on your heaviest day is not oh, heavy. Not considered right? heavy. Yeah. No. It just seems heavy because it's heavier than the rest of your days, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's really interesting. That makes sense. Thank you for that guidance because that is a question I've always had. I'm like, how the heck do you know? So that's yeah. <laughs> reassuring and helpful to hear. Mm-hmm. I would also love to hear your thoughts on how lifestyle factors like sleep or stress or exercise, diet, things like that can affect our periods, both positively or negatively. Obviously, I know there's like a whole gamut of like possible ways things can affect, but just kind of your initial like thoughts and maybe from like a 30,000 foot view, how can these different things affect our periods? Yeah. Well, great question. I mean, everything affects our periods. Our periods are a monthly report card. So every single one of those things affects periods. Like here's an, and there's often a delay. So I talk in my book about the hundred days to ovulation. So here's an example. You get a bad flu and then two months later, your period's late. Right. Because mm. your body sort of registered that as an event. And and it's it's sort of, it can sometimes take, a, you, know, you have to sort of be looking at that to think, oh, that makes sense. You know, oh, okay, right. That makes sense. That my body's registering that happened. Certainly stress can suppress ovulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can worsen. Stress can dial up premenstrual symptoms. And that would definitely happen more in the actual cycle at the time when you're stressed. Like I give the example, you know, my goalpost is no premenstrual symptoms, no distressing premenstrual symptoms, but 
in my first book, I talk about how, of course, if I've, if I've had a stressful month or traveled overseas or you know, ate a bunch of sugar when I don't normally do, then then my body would be like, oh, okay, here's some PMS for you. Yeah. Well, you month. know what's so interesting is like a, about yeah. a year ago or so, I had started to learn about some of this and I met then I met with just like my standard OB and they were like, so do you have painful periods? And I was like, it kind of depends on what I eat that month. And they were like, what? Yeah. Like they were so like, yeah. what are you talking about? I was like, no, really? Like if I'm like pretty much on my normal protocol and I haven't traveled or eaten like differently yeah. or whatever, like typically it's pretty much painless. I said, but I'll definitely get cramps if I know I've been off my typical regimen. And they're like, they were so confused by that. And I thought, am I crazy or are you crazy? (laughs) No, no, that's hundred percent true. And there's certain foods that will be more likely. I might just talk about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So obviously junk foods, like, Mm -hmm. you know, processed vegetable oils and just junky stuff is Mm -hmm. not good for anyone's Mm -hmm. periods, but more of the healthy food category. I would, I'll just point out that, um, I'd say so I'd estimate clinically it's about one in three women mm-hmm. get heavier or more painful periods from cow's dairy. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's read my books knows that I go on a bit about dairy and that is not just a normal cow's dairy. So acknowledging that goat or sheep dairy or what's called A2 dairy, which mm-hmm. has a different protein mm-hmm. is usually fine. doesn't have that inflammatory yeah. kind of mess response that affects periods. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's in my experience, it's very real. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these things because it only affects about one in three women. And of course you have women going, I don't get it. Like, I'm fine. I have dairy. I have no problem at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is an example of there's no one size fits uh-huh. all, right? Yeah. So for some, for the majority, mm-hmm. small majority, it's fine. But for about one in three, it's coming off dairy can be this, I will just say it can be the single biggest, most helpful thing you can do for your periods. It can, in some cases, not every case, but it can dramatically improve pain and bleeding and premenstrual mood symptoms. So it's really only Holstein and Friesian cows that make A1 casing. And in some people, again, I think it's about one in three, in the gut, it forms this peptide called BCM7, which I know is way too much information, but it forms this inflammatory (laughs) molecule that kind of upsets the immune system in people, but, but in, you know, in two out of three people, it doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So that's where you get this discrepancy. And actually I did ask the scientist who's doing the A1, A2 study in Australia, are they going to be testing for BCM7 in the urine Mm -hmm. of participants? Yes. So like, Mm -hmm. they're going to try to account for that. Like who, you know, who's actually forming this This inflammatory peptide. Fascinating. Okay. And can you give it just, I I don't want to go too deep into dairy, but I am, for those who are listening and they're hearing A1, A2, what does that mean? Yeah. So A1 casein is a particular kind of casein. Casein is one of the proteins in dairy. There's also other proteins as whey and other proteins, which we're not, I'm not talking about right now. I'm just talking about a specific kind of casein. It's only made by Friesian or Holstein cows. So it's not made by Jersey cows or eight, a lot of, so I think everywhere in the world now, certainly in Australia, New Zealand, they're breeding cattle, dairy cattle, dairy cows to not have the gene that makes that Hmm. protein. So you can easily get kind of A2 dairy from cows. It's dairy that's free of A1 casein, but you can also just naturally goat and sheep dm doesn't have it because those animals don't make a one case. Okay. Gotcha. Good to know. Okay. Hopefully for those listening, that gives a good differentiation. I have recently learned a lot about a two and that's what we started buying, like purposely, like getting involved in a herd share that we knew we could source that. And it's been a lot easier on me because I think I used to, I mean, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but I had to go completely dairy free for a while because I felt like I was having a lot of like acne and just like a lot of signs of inflammation. And then doing that for a while helped, but then it was like, it was almost like 
okay, now I'm like really low in calcium. Um, and so I added it back in an A2 option. And I feel like that has definitely been a lot better. Yeah, um, you're, you're probably the one in three. Probably. Then, but, yeah. <laughs> Lucky for me. Good to know. Okay. So another, you touched on inflammation, both when you mentioned endometriosis, but also even just kind of the inflammatory effect of the A1 and everything we've been talking about. And I would be curious, what role does chronic inflammation play in our periods? And what can we do to address that? It's a big good question. question. <laughs> and again, no, it's a good question. And again, because everything affects periods, inflammation 100% affects periods. So it depends on the, what type of inflammation, I guess, and what level, like high inflammation, for example, from a disease state, like inflammatory bowel disease. I'm just talking like, if you know, if you get deeply into an inflammatory state, that can just switch off periods. And that's the body going oh my goodness, no, 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 we're not going to make a baby because we're sick right now. This is not a good time. So, I mean, that's one example of what can happen. Milder inflammation, we talked, we gave the example earlier. We both experienced it. For me, back when I was having periods, I'm menopausal now, so I don't have to worry as much about it. But, you know, that experience of, oh, I ate, you know, I ate some dairy or junk food during the month. So now I've got premenstrual symptoms. Some of that is from inflammation. And then, and then there's the inflammation of something like endometriosis, which is itself is an inflammatory state, inflammatory disease of the pelvis. So that's kind of a of a more specific type of inflammation. There's another example might be there's a, a sort of a metabolic inflammation associated with insulin resistance. That's part of the PCOS picture. So then the solution for that type of inflammation is usually reversing insulin resistance, which can involve, you know, re- avoiding processed sugar, which mm. is doesn't come into some of the other types. So hopefully that makes sense. I mean, as you can imagine, inflammation is quite a broad term that can, is defined different, you know, mm. used to describe different things. Mm. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big concept and it can be, I mean, tackling inflammation can feel overwhelming. I'm sure that's something that you've seen like within your patients, but I mean, would you say that yeah. working with a provider or trying to get to the root of what's even causing that inflammation yeah. can be helpful? I would, I would say try to get a precise, more precise look at what, what you're trying to do, what's meant by inflammation. Here's another example, gluten. <laughs> so I just want to mention gluten. So I'll just start by saying for the majority, gluten, I'd say nine out of 10 people, gluten is actually fine, mm-hmm. basically fine. I mean, wheat can, is a FODMAP, something called a FODMAP. So, you know, too much wheat foods can be kind of bloating and maybe not feel that great, but like, it's not, it's relatively uncommon to be gluten sensitive mm-hmm. now, but for the people who are, and I would say that includes people with celiac disease, which is rare ish, mm-hmm. not rare, but quite uncommon. And, but then there's what's called non-gluten, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which I would think I'd estimate affects at least maybe one in 20 or one in 10 people. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that category and there's different signs of that, and I can talk about some of those signs, but when you, when it's, when it's, when gluten is a problem, it's a big problem. It's like, then that becomes strictly gluten-free becomes actually the number one thing you have to do. Mm -hmm. So if, if you can try to get a sense, I'll just give you some clues for gluten sensitivity. Mm -hmm. If this is helpful. Family history. So it's definitely anyone in the family with celiac disease, anyone with autoimmune disease in the family or autoimmune disease yourself. Mm -hmm. And that can include Hashimoto's thyroid disease Mm -hmm. because, and that's, I don't know if your listeners know about that, but that's most cases of underactive thyroid are to do with this autoimmune or immune system attacking the thyroid disease called Hashimoto's thyroid disease is very common. And that is a gluten sensitive condition. So 
there's actually a number of clinical trials now removing gluten can reduce, can improve that condition mm. and improve thyroid function and reduce that inflammation. And other signs of gluten sensitivity would be, so I often, I always, not always, but if I'm suspecting gluten sensitivity, I'll sometimes screen for thyroid antibodies. Even if thyroid function is normal, I'm just looking for gluten. Psoriasis is a skin condition that I, I believe is pretty strongly a good red flag for gluten sensitivity. There's a few migraines can be a sign of gluten sensitivity, not always, but just to give you an idea. I mean, this is, as a clinician, when I'm talking to patients, I'm looking for little gluten red flags to pop up. And then, and then I say to the patient, oh, okay, look, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I think you're in this territory where you're going to have to think about being strictly gluten-free and it's mm-hmm. stressful. Mm-hmm. And I don't want patients to have to do that if they don't need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I love that you actually like dig in to look for that rather than just saying, Hey, you should just do that. You know, like even what you said about dairy, like it doesn't affect everyone, but I think a lot of times there's these broad brush, like health advice of like, you should just go off dairy and gluten. It's like, well, is that actually what you need to do? You know? So. Yeah. And you know how that happens? Because I mean, I don't, I see a lot like, you know, when, when someone has done a diet change that really worked for them, Mm -hmm. it's hard to not be super enthusiastic and think, Oh, I want everyone else to feel Mm -hmm. as good as I did when I came off gluten. Mm -hmm. And so you're just become this like, not you, but like, you know, people become like an evangelist for this change, but it might not apply to a number of yeah, their followers. So that's yeah, yeah something I'm that's really about. true. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Okay. So I would love to just, I have like one or two more questions. I mean, I have a thousand more questions, but I have a couple more I'd like <laughs> to use or to sh- ask just to wrap up with. First being, if we're experiencing some issues with our period, whether that's our periods are extra heavy, but maybe not necessarily painful or they're painful, but not necessarily heavy or both, or we're having PMS or our periods are kind of irregular. What can we do to support a healthy period to try to restore it back to a better place? Yes, good question. And again, it's I, I feel bad saying there's no one size fits mm-hmm. all, but that's really true. So the whole premise of my first book, Period Repair Manual, is about, I think early in chapter one, I say, fix your health and you'll fix your period because mm-hmm. that's how it works. So it really is about trying to identify what underlying drivers are problems for you? All that said, in the book, I also do give some general recommendations that seem to work for most people. I'll give you one sure. that's a very simple one. So for premenstrual symptoms, almost regardless to some degree of the underlying drivers of that, magnesium is very helpful and mm-hmm. soothing because the brain loves magnesium. Mm-hmm. So whatever the premenstrual thing going on in the brain, whether it's a problem with GABA or histamine, I talk about some of that in the book, and or iodine deficiency, iodine deficiency or prolactin, there's different drivers of mm-hmm. premenstrual mood, you can still get quite a lot of relief just from taking magnesium. So there's a few things like that. I would say zinc is almost always helpful for skin and period pain. Mm-hmm almost regardless of some of the underlying causes. I'd say dairy-free works for about one in three women for pain and heavy flow, or at least works to some degree. They may still need to do other things as well. And then in terms of, I'll just repeating myself, but just in terms of getting your period back, if you've lost it, get a diagnosis and also do consider whether the problem is under eating. (laughs) I just keep saying it because I see so many, I don't know if you're seeing it, but like I just see so many young women like struggling, struggling, thinking broken, they're not going to get their period back and they just need like twice the calories that they're currently. Yeah, I wanted to ask, actually, that was one of the questions I was going to try to yeah. wrap up with is you had mentioned 2,500 calories earlier. And I think for many, that sounds like way too many because we've been trained to think like to 
to minimize calories and to avoid too many yeah. calories and all of these things. And this has been a huge mindset shift I've even personally had to make in the last couple of years or the last year or two, really. Yeah. And I've even like, as I've tried to increase and eat enough, I'm, I noticed like a little bit of weight gain and then it freaked me out, you know, <laughs> but I'd be curious what your guideline is. And I'm sure it is slightly on an individual basis, but why did you mention 2,500 calories earlier? And like, what is a good estimate of like, oh, if I'm eating this much, I could be under eating. Yeah. Well, for me, I look first to try to determine if that's what's happened, mm -hmm. if the period is gone because of undereating. Mm -hmm. So if that's not, if the, like if a, if a woman's ovulating regularly, mm -hmm. she by definition is eating enough to do that. Gotcha. Like, mm -hmm. so it's only in this situation where there's anovulatory cycles or mm -hmm. irregular cycles or no cycles, mm -hmm. then I'll just quickly say, I mean, I look at a couple of blood markers, fasting insulin and LH, a hormone called luteinizing hormone a blood test. And if those, if both of those are low, mm -hmm. which is the opposite of PCOS, I'll just point out, mm -hmm. then I'm like, ooh, ooh, okay, those are signs mm -hmm. that this is, and there's no ovulation. It's like, okay. And other reasons for no ovulation have been ruled out. Mm -hmm. Then you have to also look at the level of activity. So if you've got a very active person who's training a lot, mm -hmm. then the 25, you need maybe double that. Sports nutritionists will do sort of a calculation of how many calories to do to keep up with your level of sport. But the 2,500 comes from a few places. Actually, you might have, it's another person you could have on your show if you haven't already. I remember her name. She has a book called No Period. Now what? Mm. She's done a lot on hypothalamic amenorrhea. So she kind of, she floats the 2,500 uh, calories. Uh, I just looked up the book. Lisa, yeah. Santa no, Pino, Nicole, Nic Nicola? Nicole. Nicola. Okay. Yeah, Nicole. Yeah, Nicola. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, they say 2,500 in that book. And I'd say that's about right. Unless you're very active and then you need more. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess for some women, that's a shocking amount, but mm -hmm. that's, it depends on your body frame too. And lots of things mm -hmm. too, but yeah. you basically have to keep eating until you get your period back. If, mm -hmm. if you've been in the situation of not getting your period because you're under eating, mm -hmm. if you're not getting your period because you have PCOS or insulin resistance, then obviously you don't, it's a different strategy. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah. No, that's helpful to know just because I think, you know, like you said, obviously it depends situation to situation on the cause of not having your period. But I, I literally just had a whole conversation with someone the other day about how so many of us might even be under eating without realizing it. And it may not be to the point where it's stopping our period from coming, but it can still be affecting our health in general when oh, we're yeah. like really severely restricting calories or eating very like low calorie meals and not, and we might be eating a lot, but just realizing like, Oh, I'm only eating like 1200 calories a day. Like that's enough for a toddler, you know? Yeah. So anyways, it's just, for that's sure. a mindset shift. I think like the, to really support our energy and our health, like we do need to eat enough. And it's just like something that through like years of diet culture and being exposed to all of that as young girls and women, like it's just, uh, it could be a mindset shift for a lot of us. So anyways, I'm glad yeah. that you pointed that out and how that truly can affect the health of your period or your cycle completely. Yep. Anyway, I have so many other questions that I'd love to ask. Mm -hmm. This has just been so insightful and helpful as a starting point. I would love if you can just share as we wrap up where uh, everyone can learn more from you and grab your books if they'd like to dig deeper on supporting their period, repairing their period, all of the things yeah. with hormones. Tell us where they can find yeah. more and learn more. Yeah. I am super easy to find. My blog is larabryden.com. From there, you can link to my forum for people. I have a few practitioners in there chiming in on things and I chime in on things there too. I have a podcast now, which is little like bite-sized little explanations. I've, I'm just about to release one on why PCOS cannot be diagnosed by ultrasound. Mm. And, my, and from my blog, you can link to my two books, which are Period Repair Manual, mm. 
for women of any age who want a period or <laughs> have a period and hormone repair manual for women over 40 and beyond. And those books are available from all the usual like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, mm. iTunes, iBooks, all the, all the places. Mm, awesome. You guys go check those out. We will link her resources in the show notes so you can find the book and her blog and everything else. Lara, thank you so much <laughs> for being here and for everything that you've shared. It's been a joy to talk to you. So insightful. Yeah. And I know it's just going to bless my community so much. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.